Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and co-host of Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. Our guest today is Ovajit Dasgupta, PhD. Dr. Dasgupta is co-founder and chief data scientist at Zansers, a company that makes wearable sensors and apps capturing biosignals for a personalized approach to health. After completing his PhD in biostatistics at the University of Washington, Dr. Dasgupta trained in genetic epidemiology and biostatistics at the National Cancer Institute, then joined the faculty of Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, where he led the biostatistical analysis of genomic experiments. Returning to the Washington, D.C. area, Dr. Dasgupta is also a consultant for the National Institute of Arthritis, Musculoskeletal, and Skin Disorders, part of the NIH, and also serves on several review committees for the NIH. He is affiliate faculty in the Department of Systems Biology at George Mason University and co-organizes the Statistical Programming DC Meetup, part of Data Community DC. Dr. Dasgupta's main interests are in translating biological signals to actionable information through modern data science. Today's show is hosted by my colleague and co-host at Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, the president of Accountable Health, LLC. So, Fred, take it away. Thank you so much, Greg. And Ovaji, welcome to the show today. Hey, great to be here. Fantastic. Can you give us a little bit of a background on the areas you focused on with Zanzers and the technology and how that will fit into the growing world of population health? Oh, sure. Um, so let's start off talking about the, what we're creating at Zanzers. Sensor that we're really excited about right now, we've branded as RESPA. Um, it's a breathing sensor. So it tries to capture your breathing patterns as a clip-on to your collar, or to your shirt, or to your you know sportswear. And the idea is to be able to measure your breathing, which we think is sort of a fundamental quantity to measure, to um, understand how you're doing, both in terms of your fitness, in terms of um, other kinds of conditions um, that are related to breathing, and also in terms of, you know, when you're doing activity, how hard are you actually working? And so when you think about a a small, you know, one-inch by one-inch clip-on that anyone can wear, um, this has enormous, you know, applications in terms of looking at how you'd intervene or how you'd monitor large groups of people for their health. Um, an easy example here is um, if you're dealing with a, a, a class of people who are obese and you want to get them to closer to normal weight, which is definitely a big problem in our country right now, um, this creates a very easy way of tracking people and how much they're um, how active they are and what's the, what the quality of their activity is uh, based on their real-time breathing patterns um, to see whether they're working enough. Uh, you can think of similar things in the hypertensive community. You can think of similar thing 
you know, issues in the diabetic community, all of which are sort of a lot of the population, the general uh, non-pharmaceutical therapy is behavior related in terms of increasing activity, getting your weight under control. And so on the, on the broad spectrum, you can actually deploy this and democratize this, um, this sensor um, to be able to monitor you and affect, you know, potentially millions of people who are affected by these um, chronic widespread and, uh, and uh, severe conditions that are yes. impacting us, impacting our healthcare system, you know, pretty hard these days. Absolutely, and you know, I'm thinking about it because I've been one of these folks who uses sensors like crazy and wearables, and I test them all from Google Glass to, you know, Fitbit to Apple Watch and Move, sure. and the rest of them, and they all have measured, as you said, a different a different uh, area. It's either you know steps or heart rate you know, or Mm -hmm. maybe some exertion or something. And you've got a really unique background that perhaps you can get into. And and maybe that, why that then led you to look at breathing is maybe the area to go after. Well, there's two things. So, you know, talking about my background, I was trained um, at the National Cancer Institute uh, here in Washington, D.C. after my Ph.D. work in biostatistics. And so I've been dealing with like biomedical data for a long, long time now. And one of the things that I realize as we look at, and I'm, I'm a wearable guy too, you know, I do the Fitbits and Apple Watches and, and whatnot. And one of the things that all of these current wearables do is actually just quantify uh, the volume of your work in some sense. I mean, if you think of a pedometer, which is basically what a Fitbit or an Apple Watch is often being used as, it's just saying how many steps have you taken? Um, or even with heart rate, most of the time we're just saying, are we in the zone or not? And at the end, you're only interested in your average heart rate over that time. So it's really a, a summary measure. What breathing does on a almost a second-by-second basis is it changes and adapts naturally to to meet the exertion that you are um, committing to. So it really is linked to how your metabolism is working to uh, meet the activity that you're doing. And so it gives a much finer view of what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so one of the things that we thought about uh, when we're developing this is that breathing doesn't give you the how much, it gives you the how. And in a lot of ways, that's much more insightful. So it's not just about the quantity of your work, but the quality of your work. And oftentimes that can mean that you can do a shorter workout of higher quality and get potentially more benefit than a longer workout of lower quality. And so breathing is a direct window into sort of the quality of your effort. Um, and so um, that's one of the reasons why we thought of breathing as, as, a, as a target. Um, this also came about uh, for us earlier. So this is an application that we've been doing for activity. But the breathing idea has been, we've been playing with that for a long time in, with respect to sleep, and in particular sleep apnea, where, uh, you know, sleep apnea, as a lot of uh, your listeners will know, um, is you know, when you stop breathing at night when you're sleeping. And it has a lot of knock-on health effects that we know about today. And so our first idea, which has been in um, studies um, with our academic partners, is to really look at sleep apnea, which is the absence of breathing. And so from there, you can go from the absence of breathing to really how are you breathing to developing the product we have today, which is really asking the question um, as you work out or as you do any activity even meditation, even yoga, whatever, um, how are you breathing? And so that's sort of the genesis of where we are today. 
Yeah, and I think the interesting point, you, as you mentioned, is it tends to be, as at least in my understanding, as I've read through some of your materials, more responsive to your actual what's actually going on. Your breathing will pick up quicker than, say, your heart rate or something like that. These are initially looked at in terms of fitness, and you've got some fitness different ones. Can you sort of explain why they're a little bit different or how that works? Are, are they doing the same things, whether it's a yoga one or some of the others? Or? Oh, the, the, the important part to think about here, I mean, it sort of goes back to you know, an old Stephen Covey statement, right? Begin with the end in mind. The mm-hmm. end result or the outcome that people are interested in as a yogi, as opposed to a sprinter, as opposed to a distance runner are different, even though we'd be measuring the same thing. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. for example, yogi is interested in maintaining a, a, a particular breathing rate throughout their yoga practice. You know, as they say, you know, maintain your breath. Whereas a runner, for example, or a rower or a cyclist, is much more interested in how their breathing adapts to increased effort, and can that be controlled so that they don't, um, so they can actually process the, the waste products they're generating through breath through the oxygen they're inhaling and go longer. So even though we're measuring essentially the same things for both products, what's different is the outcomes that we report because the interest um, in breathing is different for those different categories of of consumers. Mm -hmm. And I know as you think about breathing, obviously this is early, but there there are differences in breathing associated. You mentioned the idea of sleep apnea and and use, use potentially there. I'm thinking things like asthma or even COPD. Is there the potential function for this down the road in areas like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We've been talking to people not only in terms of asthma and COPD, but in terms of things like colds and wheezing or people who are coming out of um, lung uh, lung transplants. So anything to do with breathing. So the, the, the conditions you talked about are direct breathing mm-hmm. disorders, right? They're, they're directly affecting the lungs, but there's several others like that. And absolutely, we can um, use this to start addressing that. Without the stethoscope, we're actually doing it based on the sounds you're making as you breathe, not necessarily what your doctor does in terms of looking at the stethoscope and actually listening to the lungs. So it's slightly indirect, but it has a great application. And it's much easier to do any time than you know, having to go to a physician to figure this out. And you mentioned something that's interesting, and I, maybe I could, we could delve a little bit into it. You said the sounds that you make when you're breathing, is is that what it's picking up plus the rate, or what's it sort of measuring or, or, so or analyzing? So, so it's picking up your breathing sounds, literally. So um, it's like breathing into a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're hearing, so think of that case that we think about in asthma where people wheeze. That creates a very different sound than normal breathing. And we all get that. If we had a child who has asthma, we know that very typical sound, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so we can pick that up. And now the difference is that our ears, are, our own ears, work qualitatively. We sort of intrinsically know that that's a sound of wheezing and that's the sound of normal breathing and so on and so forth. But with data, we can actually parse that a little bit more and, and classify that and teach a computer to, to learn what's what so that we can do this much more automatically and then quantify things that how, how often are you breathing well, how often are you not breathing well? And qualitatively, are there different kinds of breathing sounds we're hearing? So another example I would say is say for something like COPD or, some, or someone who has been a chain smoker and has a cough, we can take this same sensor and basically create a new application out of it where we talk about different kinds of cough and the quality of that cough and how often and, and quantify that very easily 
so that it can actually go into um, a treatment with their doctors when they can share their data. So in terms mm-hmm. of going back to where we started this conversation in population health, having something that you can just click on and use and then take control of your own health and use the data we collect, depending on the application that you want, to go back to your to the healthcare system and say, um, I think there's something wrong. Here's my data at home. Um, help me. And the mm-hmm. other reason I think that this is really, really good, as opposed to a lot of other hospital-based methods, is that it's really what's happening when you're living your normal life. It's real uh, world. Let me, let, real world. And let me mm-hmm. give you a great example of this. is in sleep, where we started this, this entire journey as, as answers. So a sleep study that anyone wants to do, um, they put a cap on you, they put a chest band on you, they put a cannula in your nose, they have wires on your fingers, so on and so forth. There's, there's 16 different leads that are attached to your body overnight. And I'm yet to find anyone who would say that they could sleep naturally with all this stuff attached to you. So that what's being recorded is not necessarily your normal sleep that you would in your own bed, but this very awkward night of sleep where you're all wired up. With the clip-on versions that we're creating with RESPA, it's basically invisible to you. So you literally stick, you know, attach this to your pajama collar and sleep in your own bed, and, it re- and the data would really reflect your natural, real-world, every, every night sleep. And that's a huge change in thinking about how sleep is recorded and how it's measured and how it's treated. And, you know, so it's fascinating to think about this because um, also, you know, breathing obviously changes in areas around stress, maybe anxiety. Um, so are those other possible venues? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've, I, I talk about that aspect all the time. Um, my, I have uh, close relatives who are dealing with anxiety and depression. And a lot of that anxiety has to do with controlling your breathing. Controlling the anxiety has to do with controlling your breathing. Or you mm-hmm. think about someone going out as a new public speaker, or even as an old public speaker, and they're nervous backstage, right? And they need to control their breathing to get to the performance they need. Um, so you could think about both in terms of a public health disorder, but also in terms of just everyday life. Times where you need to control your breathing, understand how you're breathing, and this gives you the feedback system to do it. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest issues I've seen with all of these devices and apps is th- they're siloed in a sense, and um, where you can link them to or, or exchange or interoperability or data liquidity, mm-hmm. uh, what are you doing around that for, for this? Well, there's, there's a few things we can do. First of all, we're very clear as that your data is your data. And so once you know, the raw data may not be consumable, but once you get into the app, it's consumable by you. You can have it. You can do what you like with it. Um, it's basically, um, so what we're really creating are just text files, which means they're completely interoperable with basically anything. Um, in terms of the collecting data off of this, we're doing Bluetooth mobile apps for both iOS and Android, which will be the means to collect the data out of the, the sensor, the wearable. And, and that's, sort of the paradigm, you know, this world has gone to today, right? It's, it's all mobile apps. Um, beyond that, what we do have advanced is the capability to um, transmit this to a secure cloud system to wherever you would like to send it. So um, our eventual goal, which we're, not, we're like 70% there, is to interoperate with your EHR if, you know, you give the permission so that this can be part of your entire um, 
healthcare scenario where you know your doctor can give you something like this, you wear it, the data gets transmitted back to your EHR, and the doctor can see summaries that we can provide through our cloud-based system and, and analytics and the like. So in terms of interoperability and how this data flows around everything, we're not definitely not a closed system. We're um, I'm very much a proponent of, a, of an open system here and being able to share your data with whoever you want in terms of being able to um, get the help you need if you need it. So let me ask you this question. I don't know. There's a you mentioned earlier this concept of an individual who says, hey, there's something wrong with me. Here's my data. Take a look at it. So yeah. how, one, would physicians normally have a sense? Is there a standard here or something or some sense of reports that would show, wait, here's something that's abnormal in this in this yeah. scenario? Or so, how, so, how would so, you be looking at that? So some of that would end up being that our apps would not actually give you raw data. We'd actually create sort of a summarized um panel of data which would look at things like breathing rate or variability in your breathing over these activities. So mm -hmm. these quick summary measures, sort of like a, a quick dashboard even for a mobile phone that you could just share with your um, provider and say, here's you know, here's these summaries. They're you know, with, we'll, we 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 talk with, with our doctor friends all the time to say what would be the useful summaries that we would like for different applications. And so what would be shared is really summary data saying there's a pattern here that is not good. So, for example, you would say something like you're coughing, you know, you know, once every two minutes over a period mm -hmm. of three hours, right? And and that would be what, what's reported. It's not like your full data goes to your doctor. It's like these kinds of summary measures that are, um, if you will, you know, troublesome for, for the user. Um, and so those would be shared. So it's not an issue of the entire data being shared is an issue of, of interesting summaries that we think are symptomatic of other things um, that would be shared. And it depends on the kind, and that really depends on, on the kinds of mobile apps that we're developing um, and what kind of outputs that they're giving, what kind of outcomes uh, we're interested in providing to people. But and a lot of that is developmental and we can, we can, we're happy to work with people for different applications. Like that. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, this isn't something that just comes out overnight. How long have you been working on this and sort of what uh, you must have a fairly sophisticated database on the backside to have begun to analyze the sounds. There's a difference, those kinds of things. Well, yeah, I mean, we've been working on the sleep aspect of this uh, for almost, I'd say, what, four years now. Uh, we've been doing NIH sponsor studies. We've won several NIHS BIRs that have supported this effort. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of analysis for the sleep side of things for, for several years. Um, last fall, we suddenly decided, well, hey, we're doing this for sleep. Can't we do this for like, the positive side of this, which is, breathing, which is regular breathing? And so what we're doing is we're just um, reorienting the knowledge that we've gathered in the last four years towards this newer outcome. It's not a, so the core of it is very similar to what we've done in the last four years. It's just being reoriented to um, give you a different Ask, give insight to a different aspect of your breathing, which is not sleep. It's your activities, your day is your daytime use rather than your nighttime use. Got it. So let's say I'm a I'm an athlete and I, you know I enjoy working out. What's the what's the benefit? What will I learn, and how will that help me improve my health or get stronger or quicker, et cetera? Well, one of the things that's really interesting with breathing that you know the exercise physiology literature has shown for many years, 
is that you can get a sense of when your ventricular threshold occurs through your breathing. So what's the ventricular, the ventricular threshold? It's related to what more athletes would know as their lactate threshold. It's when you start feeling the burn, right, in your muscles because you've got too much lactic acid in your, in your, in your muscles and the oxygen that you're inhaling can't process that enough. And so you're starting to feel the burn, and with, but that usually means that you're going to have to slow down or you're going to have to stop your exercise because you're now sore. And so for an athlete to improve, one of the things that elite athletes do is to push that lactate threshold further and further back into their workout so they can keep going. And so with the breathing sensor, what we can do is give you a heads up, if you will, saying that your VT, which is linked very closely to your lactate threshold, um, mm -hmm. is coming up, right? So before you hit it, we're, we're actually seeing some characteristic patterns in your breathing that happen about maybe a, a minute or a couple of minutes before you start hitting this. And that, and we can actually just buzz you on the, on the uh -huh. sensor saying, Hey, slow down, man. Um, you're, you're getting close to bonking here. Let's push, let's pull back a little bit so we can go a little further. And so that way you can keep pushing. So as a, as a athlete in training, that'll help you keep a pace and effort level that you can sustain longer without tearing up your body and, or having to stop because you've gone too far. And so mm -hmm. as an athlete, I think that's a great benefit, especially if you're doing, you know, anything beyond pure sprint. If it's endurance sports, certainly that aspect is, very, is a very powerful aspect of what we can provide uh, mm -hmm. with RESPA. Um, and what we're doing, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please continue. No, the thought was that for the more anaerobic things like, um, you know, sprints or, mm -hmm. you know, weightlifting or the like, or even or even to some extent the aerobic um, aspects, one of the things that we haven't actually talked about with RESPA much uh, today is the fact that not only is it a breathing sensor, but it's also a motion sensor. It actually has an accelerometer in it. And so the thing that we can also add in real time is corresponding your breathing to your form, to how you're moving. And that calibration is something that you, you can basically only get in exercise labs. And so the idea is to say, well, is your breathing going ragged because your form's going bad, or you know, or vice versa? And so how is your form, and so on and so forth. And so there's a great power in in, in calibrating these two these two signals, your breathing and your motion, to really see in real time and also after the fact, after your workout you know, when your form went away or when you're, mm -hmm. uh, or whether you're doing one side versus the other, you're not equal, you're not bilateral and things like that. So RESPA can give you both kinds of benefits as well so in terms of calibrating your breathing and your motion, seeing how everything is working together. Mm -hmm. and, and let me go to, to another group, perhaps a much larger group than the intensive athlete, the person really going for it. You know, we obviously have this big issue, as you touched on earlier, with obesity and lack of exercise mm -hmm. and getting out. And everybody keeps talking about, you know, you need to hit this initial point to at least create that exercise. You know, you can't just be slow walking along and it's going to do anything. And I see it a lot, yeah. you know, when, it, when I go to the gym, people are kind of hanging out, not working out hard, but they think they are in a sense because they'll spend yeah. a little time. So does it measure sort of that initial threshold? Can it say, hey, you've reached this point yeah. where you're now starting to do that? Yeah. So one of the things that we that um, we're really interested in with RESPA, actually stepping uh, stepping back from that just a sec, mm -hmm. sure. um, even for regular athletes, there's also an issue of warming up appropriately so you can actually do the work. 
And so with your breathing, we can figure out when you warmed up enough so that you can, you're at a level where you can start working. Now for the weekend warriors or for the casual um, fitness person or the people who would need to get their walk in, their exercise in, um, it's a very similar issue, right? So we can use RESPA to get you to know when you're breathing hard enough that you're actually working. So it's not like you're sitting at Starbucks and you're relaxed and, you know, if you keep that level of breathing, that's not really working, right? You need to go a little, little uh, harder than that. And so we can create um, sort of initial threshold saying here's sort of the minimal breathing rate at which you need to work um, in order to get some benefit. Um, and the flip side to that for a lot of casual athletes or casual exercisers is, especially for people who haven't exercised for a while but were, you know, at, you know were fitter in their youth and, you know, have, are not quite as fit anymore, is that they mm-hmm. tend to jackrabbit as well. They tend to go too fast too, too soon. Um, and then they can't finish whatever they want to do because they're already tired. They already wiped themselves out um, by going too fast too soon. And so it's on both sides. So you, either you're not working hard enough or you're working too hard too fast. Um, RESPA can help you sort of moderate that so you can get the most out of, your, of the time you have uh, to exercise. Got it. Got it. And I, I would assume that at some point you get enough data, and I know a lot of people are looking at this, that it becomes, you've talked about some of it predictive, hey, you're about to hit your threshold, slow it up. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in cases, let's get back to that chronic disease instance, say with a person with mm-hmm. asthma or a person living with COPD, do you think, or is it capable now of actually picking up exacerbations early? Um, we think so. We haven't gotten the training data yet to uh-huh. say that definitively, but obviously with partnerships, we can figure that out. My feeling is given the technology, we can, and that has two aspects. One is the individual aspect, which is, are you going to have an asthma attack, right? right. The, uh, the other aspect, because this is a much lower cost product that anyone can use, um, when we go back to the original point of population health, this allows vast numbers of people to monitor themselves in a study, for in a clinical study or even as an observational study around a community. And so you can get a lot more data on a population level about breathing and these kinds of conditions, and it, it can actually democratize research as well into these conditions. So yeah. not only does RESPA provide an, an indiv- very individualized look at what you're doing, but it also has an aspect that can be extended to a very population or a community-based level. Right. I could see these potentially going out through, a, you know, an allergy and immunology clinic or something like that or a, sure. um, or internal medicine to work with a bunch of uh, individuals with COPD and distribute them out potentially to, uh, right. to help or, their patients better monitor and begin to identify issues associated with that population. Well, yeah, or another um, or a case that I can see very easily is through, through local health departments when you have those days where, you, where your pollution levels are high. So you have these Absolutely. quote orange, quote red days, right? And so you can, as a health department, you can distribute these to you know, vulnerable populations, the old age homes, the nurseries, what have you, so that you can do real-time monitoring and say, um, you know, please don't go out because you're suffering. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are some really cool ideas. And, you know, typically these, these concepts take quite a while to get distributed out, particularly out sure. through practice. Are you beginning to hear or have any sense that early on that providers are interested in these kinds of areas and using something like this? Well, I think that we've got interest in both uh, pharmaceutical companies, um, 
and hospital systems as well as tech companies who are interested mm -hmm. in taking this into the home um, in terms of doing this. But obviously, these are much more local um, interest um, mm -hmm. conversations that we're having uh, with some of our friends who are in the local healthcare systems. But absolutely, we're, we're starting to see interest. Uh, we've talked to people who are in that COPD asthma space, um, in the rehab space. So we, we talk to people who are, you know, for post-surgical rehab um, with physical therapy. How can this be used with physical therapy to just look at both effort and compliance? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of discussion in terms of sort of healthcare and parahealthcare systems where um, something like this can be very, very useful. Well, that's that's really fantastic, and it's be interesting to watch that develop over time. We've got about a minute mm -hmm. left. Can you talk sure. a little bit? I know you've got a crowdfunding campaign going on at Indiegogo. Uh, tell us a little bit yep. about that. Yeah, so uh, we're doing an Indiegogo campaign right now to try and um, get RESPA out to the athletes and the yogis out there so that they can um, use sort of this um, to understand their breathing and to improve their performance and to have a better experience in whatever they're doing, uh, a more productive experience. And so um, we've been going on, the, the campaign is going on for another month. Uh, we'd love your readers to check us out. Uh, the link's going to be on the on the show page, I think. And so check us out. Uh, if you're interested, please help us, back us, and uh, help us develop this really, what we think is a really cool product. Well, fantastic. Ovijit, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you very much, Fred. Appreciate it. And there you have it. I'll turn it back over to you, Greg. Well, that will do it for today's broadcast. Thank you, Dr. Abhijit Dasgupta, for your time and generous insights. Do follow Zanser's work at www.zansers.com and at Zanser's on Twitter, including their innovative technology, Respa by Zanser's, via at Respa Sensor, R-E-S-P-A-S-E-N-S-O-R, on both Twitter and Instagram. Do take note of Zanser's crowdfunding campaign currently active at Indiegogo by searching for RESPA, that's R-E-S-P-A, or click on the RESPA Indiegogo link in the Pop Health Week program description. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now. Bye now.